Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. Morning, everybody. Come on, you can give a little bit more of a shout to God for that, can't you? This is a really uh, special day for us here at City Church. You know, throughout the scripture, again and again and again, you see God enforcing upon his people the requirement to celebrate milestones, to stop, to pause, and to celebrate milestones. And so uh, we thought that would be a good idea. And so um, two years ago today, City Church started, and uh, we are so grateful for all God has done. We just want to celebrate that milestone and say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for all the incredible fun we have had so far. So uh, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Justin. Um, A couple things to let you know about right from the start. One of the things we wanted to begin today is when you walked in, you got a little blue card. Uh, Pull that out for a second, a little blue card. If your first time is today at City Church, if this is the first time you've ever been here, we want to do something special um, on your behalf. So on your behalf, we would like to give something to someone on the other side of the world who's in need. And so you can see that little card. It has a, a few different options that you can give to someone, but you can give a mosquito net, a blanket, or a pair of chickens to a person in need. So if you're um, not like down the street, but like in another, wor- in another country on the other side of the world uh, where those things are very, very necessary for life and for sustainability. So if this is your first time here, before you leave, uh, go over to the yellow table and hand in that blue card, and we'll make sure that on your behalf, we send that gift um, somewhere around the world, and also um, we have a gift for you as well at the yellow table on the way out. So make sure that you do that. Don't forget to, uh, to hand that in when you leave. So um, excited about that, and I want to say welcome. I want to say just welcome, really grateful that you're here, and uh, really, really excited to see what God is going to do today. So uh, you guys feeling good? Good. Me too, me too. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We'll put it up on the screen. You'll be able to see it. And, uh, and we'll start with a very short parable that Jesus teaches. We're starting a new series today called Jesus Said. And for the next few weeks, we'll be focusing specifically and exclusively on the words of Jesus. And so all throughout history, uh, people have spoken all types of lies and truths, and yet Jesus seems to stand out among them as saying some of the most audacious and life-transforming truths. And uh, we're going to dig into a few of them today. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them. This is Jesus speaking, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, or yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Let's pray. God, we've said it a few times already in this gathering. We're going to say it again. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and for the incredible journey you've brought this church community on in 24 months. Um, Thank you, God. We want to welcome your Holy Spirit right now. We want to welcome your presence. We want to hear the voice of God today. I pray that as we study this passage, that you would speak to us in supernatural ways. We welcome you now. God, for the person that uh, needs to be reminded who you are, I pray that these words would be clear and from heaven. And for the person who's never truly met you, 
I pray that today would be the divine invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that deodorant can cause cancer? I read that on the internet. It's definitely true. Did you know that grilled, grilled meat can cause cancer too? Grilled meat, depending on how you prepare your meat, it can cause cancer. Hair dyes, ladies, <clears throat> men over 35 with gray hair, hair, hair dyes uh, can cause cancer. This one is least popular probably of all, but did you know that they've linked, some studies have linked coffee consumption to cancer? That there are some concerns in olive oils, you know, tobacco can possibly cause cancer as well, that killer, uh, weed killer, you know, the stuff you spray on your weeds uh, can uh, cause cancer. Um, do you know that well water can cause cancer as well? That um, asphalt fumes can cause cancer? If you ever get stuck on the side of the road and, you know, in a traffic jam or something and somebody's paving, you're probably going to die from it. Um, do you know that bus stations, all of you that ride the bus, can cause cancer? Um, they can. Chewing gum has been linked to cancer, bottled water, toasters, diet soda, celery. Do you know that celery has been linked to cancer? Um, You know, in this world, I don't know if there's anything that's not linked to cancer. Breathing, you know, linked to cancer. Um, You're more likely to get cancer if you're breathing. (laughs) Um, Right? I mean... And, you know, it's interesting how, you know, how there are no shortages of, of opinions. You know, all you have to do is go online and start looking at, like, you know, what causes this, and you will find a host of opinions. I mean, more opinions than you'll ever want to read or, you know, understand. And, and people will use fear to cause you to live a certain way. People will use guilt to make you feel guilty. And, you know, people will use greed that you deserve this, that you've earned this, that, you know, I was, uh, today's my father's birthday. And, uh, you know, I have a birthday card for him and I asked my wife to pick the card out. And it's like every single birthday card at a birthday card place. First of all, they're like $65. What are they, you know, smoking, trying to give me a little piece of paper for way too much money, but maybe they got cancer from it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> You, you know, you get the card, and every one of them is like, you deserve a birthday. You deserve it because you're entitled to it, because you're just, you deserve it. So do nothing. Treat everyone lousy. Happy birthday. You know, it's like, golly, can anybody just be like, you know, you deserve hell and damnation, but God's mercy has been extended to you. Happy birthday. You know what I mean? Like, I want that card. You know what I'm saying? You know, so what you eat, you know, what you drive, how you live, what you wear, the school you go to, how you raise your kids. Everyone has an opinion about how you raise your kids. If you're a first-time parent, don't listen to anyone but me about how you raise your kids. It is crazy. I mean, you know, I've just been watching parents. A bunch of our friends just had some babies, and my wife is like 17 months pregnant, and so she's going to have a baby sometime, hopefully. And, uh, and so... Um, you know, we've been, I've been just paying attention to the, to the different conversations around new babies. And, you know, the baby's in there crying. And one grandmother's like, you're going to let it cry like that? He's going to be, you know, scarred his entire life and hate you, you know? And then the other one's like, oh, no, no, let it cry. What, are you going to spoil him? What, are you going to just let him always get what he wants? That's what, how that's apparent. And they're like, oh, okay, so maybe I should let him cry. Well, maybe I should not let him cry. Well, you know, he's, he's too fat. Don't keep feeding him like that. You know, his whole chunky face is all blowing up. You don't feed him enough. The kid's dying over there. You know, and it's like, wait, do I feed him more? Or wait, do I feed him less? Or how does that, you know, how does that work? He's too red. Oh, he's too red? Yeah, my kid, my second one was like bright red. You know, it's like, I don't know what happened. He's just red. He's too red. No, 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 he's too yellow. You know, no, no, he's back to too red. You know, and it's like, okay, well, which one is it? Have you ever gotten a pain in your body and decided to go online to figure out what was wrong with you? Oh my goodness, yes, you have. And before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm definitely dying. I have gastroesophical reflux disease because my stomach hurts. I am going to die. 
probably today from this pain. No, you had Chinese food. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing, which House of Chow is my personal favorite, but thank you. But um, it's amazing how many opinions, I mean, there's no lack of opinions, you know, and we live our lives, whether you're aware of it or you're not aware of it, in this constant hurricane of opinions. And you're consistently, whether again, you're conscious of it or not, influenced by the million opinions. Oh, I like that dress. Why are you wearing those shoes? You know, a million opinions that are all kind of circling around you. And most of us are just trying to make it, you know, like, all right, is this, is this okay? What I wore, what I'm talking about? Is this, you know, is this car okay? Is this, you know, and there's constantly this pressure to measure up and it's amazing to me, if you just pause, maybe some of you have, you know, grown up going to church your whole life, or maybe some of you have heard about Jesus since, you know, the day you were born, and so things kind of become commonplace. But if you pull yourself back a little bit, and you pause, it really is amazing that for 2,000 years, the words of a peasant carpenter from Palestine have influenced the thoughts, the ideas, and the lives of countless millions more than any other person in the human race. That blows my mind. I mean, consider for a moment how improbable that reality is. Just pull yourself out of your little circle and your world and, you know, consider for a moment how desperately improbable it is for this particular individual to influence so many. He never held a political office. He never, you know, uh, led an army into a city. He didn't write any books. He didn't write anything. He had no kids, so he couldn't, you know, populate the world in that way. You know, he had very little wealth, so there wasn't this power that he purchased his power, you know, that he purchased his influence with, you know. Uh, He never left his home country, so he wasn't this world traveler influencing the cultures of millions. He didn't invent anything, and he died at age 33. When I step back and I think about Jesus... It blows my mind that this particular individual has had so much influence in our world. You know, what Jesus said was written down in four different accounts called the Gospels. And these four different accounts have been translated into 2,527 languages. That is the number one translated document in human history. Guess what number two is? I think that was my phone. Number two is Don Quixote. Don Quixote has been translated into 60 languages. Shut your phone off before you preach. Just a little uh, aside there. 60 languages. So you've got 2,527 languages from Jesus and 60 languages from Don Quixote. You know, when people interacted with Jesus, they constantly were surprised by the things that he would articulate. I remember there's this one time in scripture, you can read it, where, you know, uh, the Jews send some soldiers to kind of, you know, beat Jesus up and potentially arrest him, and they come back empty-handed, and the Jews are like, what happened? Why didn't you do anything? And they're all just standing there going, uh, well, no, no one has ever spoke the way this man does. We, we, don't, we don't know why we didn't do anything, but, but we, just, we just couldn't. He started talking, he looked at us, and when he looked at us and talked, we just became mush, and we, we, that's the Justin translation, but, you know, it's, it, you know this guy claimed to be the absolute embodiment of truth. And many of us receive this, we're here at church and we agree with this, but when you pause and reflect upon that reality, it really is an audacious claim. Now, in our passage today in Matthew chapter 13, we hear about how Jesus is teaching us about a kingdom that we don't see, right? He says the kingdom of heaven is like this, and his point 
is again and again that heaven's reality is actually greater than earth's reality. That even though you see your car and you see your arm and you see, you know, that five guys cheeseburger and you see all those things and experience them, experience them there is a reality beyond those things, a, ra- a reality farther, greater, grander than those things, and it is the greater reality. Jesus speaks of it as the kingdom of heaven. And he tries to articulate for us what it's like. And his whole point is it's bigger and more important than the reality you see. So if you can just get a glimpse of this, it will actually inform what you're seeing. So I think it is worthy of us today, no matter where you are in the spectrum of life, whether you think Jesus was just a crazy you know, preacher that never you know, amounted to much or you're convinced that Jesus is the living son of God, wherever you are in the spectrum of life, whether you feel near to him right now or a million miles away or you still think he's in a grave somewhere in Israel, regardless of where you are, because of his influence, his prestige all throughout history, I want to pause for a few minutes and I want to examine what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of heaven because it's pretty crazy. You ready? Here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So a grain of mustard seed is pretty small, right? Uh, You know, they say that, you know, you'd need to take eight grains of mustard seed and stack them up to get one grain of rice, Okay, so a relatively small seed. And Jesus is not making a scientific statement. He's standing around talking to a bunch of farmers and he's saying it's the smallest of all your seeds. And so, you know, they're looking at it and they're like, okay, yeah, it's pretty small. And so he's saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, one grain, very small. I mean, one grain is teeny, teeny, tiny, right? And he says, somebody took just this one grain and they intentionally sowed it into a field. Now, to a farmer, that's ridiculous because no one sows one grain, right? I mean, sowing one grain is like, all right, I'm going to walk all the way out in the field. It's sweaty. It's hot. It's nasty. Usually you bring a massive bag of grain and you throw it everywhere. But he says, no, no, it's not like that in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like one little grain. (laughs) Put it there. That someone sowed in a field, right? One seed. And somebody intentionally puts it there. That seems to the farmers completely insignificant. Nobody pauses or considers one seed. So irrelevant, tiny, small. He says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And then in verse 32, he says, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, in this part of the world, these mustard trees, mustard plants could grow eight to 10 feet tall. And he's giving a spiritual analogy here where he's saying, listen, even though this one seed seems small and insignificant, it grows into this big plant. And within one mustard plant, there can be about 8,000 seeds. So this one seed can then produce 8,000 seeds, and then 8,000 plants can come out of those seeds. And so within one generation of this seed, you've got 64 million seeds. And then he gives us another analogy in verse 33. He told them another parable. And these are brothers, these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. So the kingdom of heaven is this change agent. So if you don't know much about cooking, which I don't know much about cooking, if you take yeast or leaven and you put it in dough, it causes the dough to expand, changing the chemical makeup of the dough and then forcing it to rise. And so if you put a lot of yeast, you'll get a big puffy piece of bread. If you put a little bit, you'll put a little 
little piece of you know, puffy bread, but the interesting thing about dough is it sp- or yeast is it spreads all throughout the dough, right? It influences and impacts every chemical of a piece of dough. And so the analogy he's using here is he's saying, you got a ton of flour. It's actually about 50 pounds of dough that he's talking about. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like taking a little bit of yeast and throwing it into that massive piece of dough, this 50-pound piece of dough. The people listening to the story again would have been like, what? That's a huge piece of dough. Nobody has dough that big, right? And so he's, he's saying it's like a tiny little mustard or tiny little you know, a piece of yeast getting thrown into the dough and it's hidden in there and it's this invisible agent buried within. So what is he saying here? Well, to start, he's saying the whole kingdom of heaven thing, the whole way that I operate, it's gonna rub against your way of thinking. That your way of thinking is not gonna be congruent naturally with God's way of thinking. That his kingdom at its core is counterintuitive. That if you think you're just gonna figure Jesus out, then you're putting way too high of a price on your own intelligence. It's not possible. His kingdom's counterintuitive. So that's why all the people cried, you know, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. Why don't you come with an army? Why don't you fix all our problems? And again and again, he's saying, no, 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 that's not how the kingdom actually works. And so they're thinking in that day, you know, we want lights, we want Shazam, we want charisma. This is what we want. Show us something big and special and important. And rather than a palace, Jesus is like, no, the kingdom's actually more about a manger. And rather about the elite, he's like, no, the kingdom's actually closer to the peasants. See, God's plan was to take a small thing and make a great impact with it. To take a small thing and to make a great impact with it. And there's something about that idea that speaks to you. His cosmic eternal plan was to advance his rulership and display his glory through small, weak, and seemingly insignificant things. This is what Jesus is saying. And there's something just about that chorus that speaks to you like an old song, right? In fact, every time someone rewrites that idea, it stirs something up inside of you, whether you realize it or not. Case in point, Rocky One, right? I mean, if you've seen Rocky One, raise your hand if you've seen Rocky One. Come on now. Not American if you have Okay, so anyways, um, you know, you see Rocky 1 and, you know, the whole movie is pretty lame, isn't it? I mean, I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm just saying, like, he's bouncing that ball. He's talking to Adrian. It's like, dude, why don't you do something, right? And it's just this guy who just has very little significance. He's too old to box, da-da-da-da-da-da, on and on and on and on. But the last 10 minutes of the movie are so incredibly awesome that you walk out going like, Wow, that was amazing. And you're blown away because this little guy who had such a small piece of the pie becomes this great, incredible fighter that the whole nation is looking to. It speaks of that story. You read, you know, you watch the story of uh, William Wallace and Braveheart and Mel Gibson all decked out with his blue. And, you know, I love that movie. And whenever, whenever I watch it, something inside of me stirs. Something inside of me is spoken to. Something inside of me goes, yes, I want you to win. The other day I was watching this movie with my kids. Now, you probably haven't seen it. It's, I think it's a Disney movie called The Perfect Game. Anybody ever seen The Perfect Game? It's this movie about how this team, this baseball team of uh, Mexican kids gets into a, um, an American tournament and ends up winning the entire tournament. And everybody's, you know, being prejudiced against these kids and, and the whole deal, but, you know, they don't have all the nice stuff and all this stuff, and, and they end up just totally kicking the butt of all the Texans and all the Kansas people and all the other people. Love y'all, but these guys just whooped them all, and they won the Little League National Tournament, you know? And I'm watching that movie, and at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, 
Oh, yes. It's awesome. Go little Mexican baseball team. It's awesome. Love it. Why? Because there's something inside of me and there's something inside of you that speaks to this story. It speaks to it like no one else could ever speak to it. I think of it like a chorus that you haven't heard in a long time and you hear it and you're like, oh, yes, I am feeling that again, right? It just kind of comes back over you and it's like, yes, I know that story. You know, my life is that story. My life is the story of a 13-year-old kid who didn't have any focus or direction and certainly no spiritual ambition. A kid that just liked to play basketball and chase around girls. And that was all that was going through my mind. And yet out of nowhere, this little seed gets planted in my soul. And I wasn't expecting it, anticipating it, seeking it. And this seed starts to grow and grow and grow until deep inside of Justin, the only ambition I could find anymore was Jesus. The only passion I could find was knowing God. The only love that seemed to supersede all the other loves was this devotion to God. And my friends would ask me, what what is the matter with you? And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know, man, but I'm eating mustard. It's awesome. It's just, it's incredible. You know, this church community is the story of the little seed. We're 20 people, you know, two and a half years ago started gathering on Tuesday nights and saying, hey, what if, what if we started a church? I think God wants us to start a church. What would happen? What could happen? Anybody from that little first group? Let me see your hand, first group, first group. See, they all left the church, it's awesome. But no, I'm just kidding. Almost all of them are still around. It's, I think, I don't know if anybody's left yet. And you pause and you think, man, 24 months ago and now we see hundreds of people every week meeting Jesus, being inspired to follow Jesus, walking with Jesus closer. And I pause and I think to myself, okay, if the kingdom of heaven is like a little seed that starts small and then explodes into something big, if that's the story of God, then what if all across this city we could make impact for Jesus? What if we could actually start to meet the needs of those that are poor and those that are hurting all across the city? What if we could each be agents of change in our own spheres of influence, in our families, in our workplaces, and in this community around us? And then what if we compounded that and at the exact same time we're doing it in Bridgeport, Connecticut? And what if at the exact time we were doing it at Bridgeport, Connecticut and New Haven, Connecticut, what if we started it in Hartford, Connecticut? And then what if we did it in Stanford, Connecticut? And then what if we did it in Waterbury, Connecticut? And then what if we moved to Boston, Massachusetts and did it there at the exact same time? And while we were there, what if we did it at Providence, Rhode Island? And what if we did it in Worcester, Massachusetts? And what if we continued to go to Springfield and Manchester and all across New England, simultaneously, little seeds were getting planted and big trees trees were growing. I mean, come on. You start to think about it and you say, hold on a second. Is there any limits to what God can do? Is there any limits to what's possible when you start to consider how the kingdom works? And in this two-year anniversary time, it is an honorable and godly thing to pause and realize that little things matter to God. When he talks about mustard seeds and yeast, he's talking about things that matter to him. We just finished six weeks studying Christian disciplines. If you missed them, just review the last six podcasts on the internet. But when you do, you'll find that we talked again and again and again about little changes in life that make massive differences. They compound. So every time your kids want to read Old Yeller, I just finished Old Yeller yesterday with my son. Good book. He dies, by the way. You know, you say, yeah, I got time for that. Every time you want to go out but you haven't actually managed your finances, you do it because it's a little thing that makes a big difference. Every time you remember, you take time to pray for your neighbor because it's a little thing that makes a big difference. It's a collection of these little things that make a tidal wave. 
and it becomes a big thing. You know, Mother Teresa is famous for saying, we cannot do great things, only small things with great love. What if this community of people was a people that were committed to little things? Like, really? I mean, pause for a minute. What if you were committed to the little things? The little things of picking up your trash when you leave. The little things of loving the person as you go outside and saying, God bless you. The little things of praying for someone or taking the time to pray with someone at the end of service. The little things of life, like paying for your neighbor's lunch or waiting for somebody when no one else has waited for them. What if we had a community of people that cared enough that we realized, you know, Jesus into the mustard seed stuff. He said, what you do to the least of these, you've done to me. He cares about little things, and that's what's going to mark our community. People that actually care about those little specifics. But I have to be honest that this parable about the kingdom of heaven, what I've explained so far are really peripheral truths regarding this parable. The real core of this truth isn't about mustard seeds or yeast. Jesus is speaking about something far more specific. Jesus is telling you and I, stay with me today, how to fix the human condition. How to get to the root of your issue. How to get to the core of your problems. You might be sitting here thinking, I don't have any problems. That's your problem. That's your problem. That pride has blinded your eyes. Or maybe you're sitting here, Justin, I got enough problems for everybody in the room. Well, there is a cure for that condition, a core cure. You know, I just started riding a bike a couple days a week, three days a week. Any bike riders in here? Okay, I'm not, all right? I'm not. Like, I don't know anything about bikes. I don't know, like, I don't wear the spandex clothes or anything like that. But I started riding a bike, you know, and the other day I get out, because I do it three times a week in the morning, early, so nobody sees me, hopefully, and I get out there, and I'm riding my bike, and I get on the bike, and it's like, gadung, 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 gadung. I'm like, what the heck is the matter with my bike that I found in my mom's garage? You know, like, what is going on with this thing? And, and I turn around, and I look, and my, my back tire is totally flat. So I'm like, crud. So I go down to the uh, Hess gas station the whole way. You know, and I say, listen, I need a fix for this flat. You know, what can I do in the air pump thing? You know, they have the air thing. And so I take the air thing and I get it. And it says out of order on it, but it was still running. So I was like, oh, we'll try it. And so I put it on there and the air shoots out the pipe the wrong way. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is busted. And so then I go to Meineke and I say, Meineke, you're not going to get a lot, but you'll pay a lot. And so, you know, I go there and I say, excuse me, do you think you could, um, just, just kidding, if you work there whatever. Um, but, uh, I go there and I'm like, do you think I could use your pump thing? And he's like, it's going to be a while, man. It's going to be a while. It's got to heat up or whatever. And I'm like, all right, forget it. I'll just chunk my way home. And so I could chunk my way home and on and on and on. And you know, the, the reality was, is that I knew something was wrong. I knew it. Like the bike was fine. It was still red and ugly. The front tire was beautiful. The brakes were working. Everything was fine. But when I got on that thing, there was this inner sense of like, you know, something's not right here. Ka-dunk, 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 ka-dunk. And you have that same exact inner sense. There's a back tire in your life that's been flat for a while and you're ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunking around acting like things are fine. But in reality, you're pretty confident that something inwardly is not quite in line. That inward knowledge that it's like I'm searching for something. I'm searching for the right relationship and I go from relationship to relationship to relationship and still it's not seeming to satisfy. I'm searching for the right career and I go from career, career to career but still it's not seeming to satisfy. I'm searching for the right status and so I buy the next thing and I get the next thing and I earn the next thing and I get it and it's good and then it's gone and it just doesn't seem to satisfy and there's something inside of you that just is chunking along and you're saying what is that going on inside of me that doesn't seem to be right see God's been talking about seeds for a long time this 
This mustard seed thing isn't the first time that seeds come up in the Bible. In fact, seeds come up in the Bible way early on, the beginning of the book in Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve rebel against God and are separated from him because of sin. That's how the story goes. Satan, the serpent, uh, deceives um, Adam and Eve and they follow his path and they're separated by uh, sin from God. And right away, God starts talking about seeds. He says he's going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he says, I'm going to raise up a seed from this woman who will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel, but this seed will crush his head. And then Jesus comes on the scene thousands of years after that prophecy. And in John chapter 12, he's talking about seeds again. And he says it like this. You can go there in John chapter 12 if you'd like. John chapter 12 in verse 24. He's talking about himself here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground. There we go again. A grain or a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he talking about here? Well, when the shell of a seed cracks open in the ground and begins to break apart, that's when the life starts to spring out of the seed. It's got to first die in the earth and then it begins to bring life. And Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I'm the seed. Jesus is saying, I'm the seed. I'm the tiny little human life thrown out in the field of humanity. I'm the one little kernel that's going to get tossed into this massive field. I'm the little tiny piece of yeast that's going to expand throughout this huge piece of flour. I am the little seed. And what I'm telling you is that one death of one seed is going to have exponential production of life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. See, the Apostle Paul starts to outline the plan for us a bit more specifically. You can go to Romans uh, chapter, um, in Romans 6, 7, 5. Romans chapter 5, it says this. Check this out. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, stay with me today, led to condemnation for all men. He's speaking about original sin. So, listen to these words. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He says one act of righteousness is going to justify you. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's not a list of to-dos and not to-dos. It's not a list of things that will make you right before God. It's not some magic formula that if you follow it perfectly will get you to God. That's not how the kingdom works. Jesus says, you've been living your life just fine. You've been doing your thing, making your money, doing all your stuff. Let me show you something bigger than you. He says, I want to show you my kingdom. You can't see it, but it's like a little tiny seed. And it gets planted. And the seed is his life. And his perfect life was planted in the soil of humanity. And what Paul is telling us here is that one man's obedience was accounted for all who would receive him. That one man's righteous life could justify. Justify means just as if I'd never sinned. Could justify the lives of all that one person's righteousness could be accounted to each person's account. 
that I am righteous before God right now because of his obedience. That's the secret of the kingdom. That's the secret of the mustard seed. That's the secret of the good news, that God's great plan to rescue you from your busted back tire, God's great plan to rescue you from the disparity that kept you from him was to visit a young Jewish girl and to put a seed inside of her that would bear a son, Emmanuel, God with us, who would grow up in obscurity, who would be unrecognized by the people of the world, who would be misunderstood and eventually crucified unjustly, a perfect man, fully God, fully man, to represent us all, that his blood would be ample payment to reconcile you to God forever. And the moment that this truth no longer causes your mind to expand and causes your soul to stand in awe, you, O Christian, immediately go right back to the law trying to earn your way to make God like you. And if you're here today and you've been far from God for a long time, I've got good news. You can't get to him by your efforts or abilities. You can only get to him through the root of the kingdom. And the root of the kingdom is this one seed that gets dropped in this massive amount of land. And the one seed brings life to all that is around it. God's plan was to use the instruments of weakness and insignificance to write his story of glory and reconciliation. You can't add anything. Close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes for a second. Everybody, I just want to urge you just for a moment. Close your eyes for a second today. Listen to these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss. And I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul my life my all demands my soul my life and my all look at me this morning let this truth expand in your conscience today I don't care if you've been a follower of Christ for 50 years or if today's your day to meet him let this truth expand in your mind this morning God loves you. Oh, no, 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 no. Not me, Justin. I got all types of issues. I've been to like 650,000 altar calls. Not me. Yeah. He loves messed up you. 
want to dare you to believe. You know, I, I find myself drifting from the simplicity of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul warns us about that. He says, don't let anything pull you away from simplicity of devotion to Christ. I want to dare you today to believe something that seems irrational, but that speaks to you like that familiar song. That God's plan for you is relationship. And that he's reconciled you to himself through the life and death and resurrection of one man. Seems like a crazy plan, doesn't it? It does to me. That's why he says, it's foolish things that confound the wise. It's weak things that actually are stronger than the strong. That's the way this whole thing works. He only planted one seed. And that's all he needed to plant to change the whole world. Maybe God wants to awaken your heart today to the awe, to the wonder that right now, right here, I can live by faith in relationship with my creator. That I can live near to God. Stay on your feet with me. What are we celebrating this morning, City Church? You know, I've thought a lot about that. What are we celebrating after 24 months? Are we celebrating people coming? Are we celebrating an expanding organization? Is that exciting to anyone? It's not exciting to me, I'll be honest. I'm celebrating the fact that one man changed my heart forever. That one perfect seed was planted inside my soul and has been growing in me this massive plant of joy and life and hope and peace. I'm celebrating that you've experienced that seed in your soul as well. And so have you, and so have you, and so have you, and so have you. And as each person experiences the simple truth of God's devotion and love to them, that thing starts to well up inside of them and they find this ability to honor and worship him, to glorify him, to align our entire lives around the person, the work, the grace, the love of this incredible God-man, Jesus. I'm celebrating the fact that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God, that God would look at me blameless, pure, forgiven, perfect. And every week, this family grows. Every week, this family grows. And I will not, on my watch, permit this community to be about anything else than the profound and simple and awe-inspiring revelation that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That one little ridiculous seed that a man takes and throws out into this massive swarm of humanity. And somehow that one seed changes everything else. How many reasons can you think of to worship God? How many can you think of? God, we want to worship you right now with our souls, with our hearts, with everything we have on the inside of us. We want to worship you, God. And so we welcome your nearness and your presence to us 
this morning. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. Visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.